spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down my spine. That's that's all we can afford, guys. Sorry. Um, hey, it's me, Zach. I'm editing. It's technically Halloween. Don't don't worry about it. Uh, happy Halloween to our listeners and enjoy this special episode. We are working on consistency. No, we're working on being spooky because it's spooky season. Uh, it's yeah, Halloween, Halloween rolled around, and we got, and we got uh, motivated. Yes, motivated. That's the word. Not shamed. Motivated. Definitely motivated. <laughs> Were you uh, shaming us? Is that what happened? I shamed myself into recording oh. two episodes in a week because okay. it's been so long. And editing said episodes. Yeah, in one sitting? I know, right? I'm going to be so brave. For punishment. We believe in you. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. I also was in the Halloween spirit. I just got tickets to see Beetlejuice, the musical. Uh, so I'm excited, but it's not until February, so I got some time before that. <laughs> Beetlejuice in February. Yes. yes, it's what um, Guillermo del Toro would want. I don't actually remember who directed that movie. I think it's Guillermo del Toro. I've never seen. I don't it. know. That's it's a very funny movie. De- February is really when the deepest of the winter depression sets in. So I think a Beetlejuice musical is just what I would need right? in the depths I mean, of February. Right now, I've got tons of entertaining stuff. Mid February, yeah. there's nothing. February is like the coldest parts of Texas, right? Like that's where we had Snowmageddon in 2021. So I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just preparing myself. Hopefully, I can get there uh, without like wrecking my car. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. So, so what what do you have for this uh, spooktacular you have planned? Oh, spooktacular! So uh, I wanted to go into kind of creepy monsters for uh, Dungeons and Dragons f- to be Halloween themed. If all goes creepy. well, I'm going to up- release this episode on Halloween. So if you're hearing this on Halloween, um, I, I don't know. It. He did it. Give, Sin- give us Sin- a comment. On, tell us on Instagram I'm a good little boy. Uh, so, But let's <laughs> creepy. Say, Zach, you're a good little boy. Why are you Russian? Uh, so, yes. So this goal of this episode is to kind of, one, go over kind of the creepy characters that you can pick. Or creepy monsters you can pick from D&D, which there are plenty of them. They're all creepy in their own right. I was gonna say, yeah. Uh, yeah, they all can be terrifying. And then, uh, as well as kind of cover our social interactions that we mentioned last episode. So, Ooh. yeah. Uh, we're going to skip a magic item today because we each have our own monsters that we're presenting to everybody. So, with that, monster, do you want me to go mash. first? It is a monster mash. Absolutely. Let's hear about your creepy Do the mash. Alrighty. So... I have chosen the Carrionette, which is found in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is part of the Curse of Strahd series. Uh, he has his own guide of like how to run the game, how to add more things to it, all sorts of stuff like that. Good read. Uh, I have tried to play Ravenloft so many times, never gotten through it. Strahd's a little whiny bitch. Either way, uh, what we're looking at here is a carrionette. It is a small construct with an AC of 15, natural armor, which is surprising because it is a puppet. Uh, it has hit points of 27 or 66 plus 6. So that's 36 plus 6 if you hit the maximum, which would be 42. Uh, can we pause? Can we pause? Can we appreciate carrionette? I mean, it's a good combo. To- Zach didn't give a description yet, so no, I don't but, think but they get the joke. but I know what joke. it is based on this, right? Like, you get it. <laughs> yeah, so like, you got so Marionette and Carrion. So it's supposed to, you'd think by its name that it feasts on the dead, but is a puppet. No. Description-wise, that's what yes. I picture it as. That's oh. exactly Car- what I'm picturing. Oh, right no, here. I picture it's a puppet made of dead meat. It um, is not. It's surprisingly just worse. a puppet. 
It's That's a, worse. It's a puppet made out of carrion. It's no. a carrion net. Is that unfortunately? It is just a construct. So it is. Well, I mean, technically, like a uh, body golem, like a skin golem, is a construct too. But no, it is a. It is a normal puppet. Disappointment. Well, you can okay. make yours out of meat if you want to. But no I can't call it the carrion net because it already exists. I mean, you can call it the media net. I don't know. Uh, Go with what you got, right? So, speed is 25. It's not very fast. It has 27 HP, 15 armor. Uh, Its strength is 10 with a plus 0. Dexterity is 15 with a plus 2. It's got a constitution of 12 plus 1. Intelligence, 8 minus 1. That's definitely its dump stat. Wisdom is 14 plus 2. And charisma is 14 plus 2. It is resistant to poison and psychic damage, and it is immune to being charmed, frightened, and poisoned. It has passive perception of 12, and it understands the languages of its creator. So anything who created it, it knows the languages of it. Interestingly, it is only a CR of 1, and it has a proficiency bonus of plus 2, so that's where it gets some of those stat uh, boosts. But for its abilities, it has false object. If it is motionless in combat, it has advantage on initiative rolls to scare other creatures. Moreover, if a creature hasn't observed the carrionette move or act, that creature must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom perception check to discern the carrionette is animated. And then the next thing is it does not require air, food, drink, or sleep because it is technically not living, and that is its unusual nature. As for how this thing gets up into your business... Uh, mm-hmm. It has two actions, Silver Needle and Soul Swap. I'll go I over like the... the sound of that second one. Yeah, the second one's a little off. That's what makes this thing a little creepy. Uh, so a Silver Needle, is it's a plus four to hit. Uh, it's got a reach of five feet, and it does one piercing damage plus three, or 1d6 necrotic damage. Uh, so you just roll a necrotic dice, and it automatically adds one. Uh, the target must make a DC 12 charisma saving throw or become cursed for one minute. Oh. While cursed in this way, the target speed is reduced to t- by 10 feet, and it must roll a D4 and subtract the number rolled to the ability check or attack roll it makes. So this thing essentially gives you 10 feet penalty to movement and a bane curse on the creature. Ugh. Note there is no save. It is just cursed for one minute. But, oh. If you fail the initial save, it is cursed for a minute. Just and now, just, just all of combat. Just, just a whole round, round of combat. Of combat. <laughs> yep. Which we did that math last episode, so we, we, we're good to go. Okay. So, the next thing is Soul Swap. The, canary, the carrionette targets a creature it can see within 15 feet of it uh, that it has cursed by its silver needle. Unless the creature is protected by the protection of good and evil spell, it must make a DC 12 charisma save. Or have its consciousness swapped with the carrionette. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. The carrionette gains control of the target's body, and the target is unconscious for one hour, after which it gains control of the carrionette's body. Oh, God. You gotta go take your mind back. Yeah. While controlling the target's body, the carrionette retains its intelligence, wisdom, and charisma score. It otherwise uses the controlled body statistics, but does not gain access to the target player's class features and proficiencies. If the carrionette's body is destroyed, both the carrionette and the target die. Oh, God. A protection from good and evil spell cast the controlled body, uh, cast on the controlled body drives the carrionette out and returns the consciousness of the body to the original body that it came from. 
The swab is also undone if the control body takes damage from the carionette's silver needle. Uh, okay. So it's essentially a chasing game where because, one, you have control, right? But the carionette has one hour to get away from you. Because you can't take control of the puppet's body for one whole hour. So now it's kind of a... The way I could see this is the setup would be your job as a as the DM is to take over this character's body and kind of do shenanigans and stuff. Really fun if you find a character with a low uh, charisma save. So, you know, those um, fighters uh, take their bodies, run away, and then leave that fighter in a tiny little body and make them uh, play a puppet. Uh, with the stats and try and find their original body and get back. So you either have to cast a spell on it, which hopefully you, for long term, for a game of interesting plots, uh, you want to prevent them from realizing the protection of good and evil spell works immediately. But it would be fun to have a silver needle used. But I think it would be cool if the party goes into like an evil shop seller's location or they break into a warehouse and these carionettes are just kind of sitting on a crate in the corner waiting for their target to come by. And they quietly move around until they get in position to curse you with the silver needle. So, yes, they are small. So they're the size of a halfling. So they're about child-sized. That's so creepy. That's, that's still a pretty large puppet. I feel it's like I would take puppet, notice yeah. of a... large for a puppet. No, you take notice of a puppet that large. Yeah. Downside is, is it doesn't have the greatest stealth. It Like, it just says... Um, uh, it has advantage on initiative rolls, uh, but if it hasn't seen it move, so if it makes a stealth check, which surprisingly it doesn't have a stealth stat. That is the one thing I would change to this. I would add a stealth roll to it, which I would probably add a plus four to it. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's a CR one, so you can kind of keep this as a little bit low. But yeah, you have to stab it one turn, curse the creature, and then use the soul swap ability, which I think would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of fun. And s- spooky. I think this could also be a very fun um, one-off, but with, like, say, this goes to the DMs who have issues with scheduling, this could be a one-off for a player that they are the only ones who were available for the session, and you've got them in this small town or whatever on their, like, carousing, and they happen to come across one of these, and they have to spend the whole session getting their body back. Oh, boy. So if only, like, one or two players show up, they face these creatures... And it, you kind of can say, hey, this is going to be like a side quest thing for just you guys or however many show up. And then we'll just go back to a normal play next session. But you still have like the experience of this. And I uh, probably a fear of puppets for the rest of your character's life, too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. So what do you guys got? Here Tell we go. Tell us about it. Awesome. Awesome. I am going with the basics. I'm, I'm back here in the uh, Monster Manual on page 220 with the Mimic. It's classic. Tried and true. Classic, spooky, nonetheless. Uh, mimics are shape-shifting predators able to take on the form of an inanimate objects to lure creatures to their doom. In dungeons, these cunning creatures most often take the form of doors and chests, having learned that such forms attract a steady stream of prey. Uh, Mimics can alter their outward texture to resemble wood, stone, and other basic materials, and they have evolved to assume the appearance of objects that other creatures are likely to come into contact with. A mimic in its altered form is nearly unrecognizable until potential prey blunders into its reach, whereupon the monster sprouts pseudopods and attacks. When When it changes shape, a mimic excretes an adhesive that helps it seize prey and weapons that touch it. The adhesive is absorbed when the mimic assumes its 
amorphous form and on and on parts the mimic uses to move itself. Uh, mimics live and hunt alone, though they occasionally share their feeding grounds with other creatures. Although most mimics have only predatory intelligence, a rare few evolve greater cunning and the ability to carry on simple conversations in common or undercommon. Such mimics might allow safe passage through their domains or provide useful information in exchange for food. Hmm, I did not know that. So, you can have the smart ones. Interesting. Um, um, so Mimic is a medium monstrosity shapeshifter, and they are neutral. Just they just want to eat. They just hungry. They're just hungry. Yeah, just hungry boys. He's got an armor class of twelve, a hit point of ninety-eight plus eighteen, a speed of fifteen feet, uh, a strength of seventeen, a dex of twelve, a con of fifteen, an intelligence of five, a wisdom of thirteen, and a charisma of eight. So, not very intelligent. Minus three to intelligence. So yeah. you know they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. They're hungry. Mm-hmm. Some of us. Who hasn't idiotically resorted to a violence when they're hungry? Okay, fair. Exactly. Very good point. Uh, for skills, they have a plus five to stealth. Uh, they're immune to acid, and they're immune to being prone. They have a sixty-foot dark vision and a passive perception of eleven. Uh, no languages for what we're assuming are the the the, the less bright ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're too dumb for languages. And it's a CR of two. Oh, so, they're challenging. So, not, I mean, yeah, like double double the, the marionette, but, you know. Yeah, what's the HP that it gives it as the average? 58. 58. 58. Oh, yeah, you're literally double. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah. All right, Wild, for abilities, almost. we got Shape Changer. The Mimic can use its action to polymorph into an object or back into its true amorphous form. Its statistics are the same in each form. Any equipment it is wearing or carrying isn't transformed. It reverts to its true form if it dies. Adhesive, object form only, the Mimic adheres to anything that touches it. A huge or small creature adhered to the Mimic is also grappled by it, with an escape DC of 13. Ability checks made to escape this grapple have disadvantage. Super sticky. So he's... sticky. He can turn into whatever, and he becomes super sticky. Um, A false appearance. While the mimic remains motionless, it is indistinguishable from an ordinary object. (coughs) So, there's not even, like, a check on this guy. Like, you can't, like, perceive perceive your way out of this. Mm -mm. Nope, you gotta accidentally get bit by it. Or stuck to him. Yep. Uh, Grappler. The mimic has advantage on attack rolls against any creature grappled by it. And then its actions, it has a pseudopod, which is a melee weapon attack, plus five to hit, a reach of five feet on one target. On a hit, it deals 1d8 plus three bludgeoning damage. If the mimic is in object form, the target is subjected to its adhesive trait. So if it attacks with its pseudopod while it's still looking like an object, you get stuck, you get hit and take damage and you're stuck to whatever it hits you with. Yeah, you are. And then it has a bite, which is a melee weapon attack, a plus five to hit, a reach of five feet. Wish I could reach five feet with my mouth. 
Uh, one target. <laughs> what the are face. You... I don't. The know. face we both made. I looked up. I made a face and looked up, and Zach was making the same face I imagined I was making, which was like weird, confused. I'm just like, wondering like, where you're putting your mouth. That's my biggest concern. <laughs> stealing food. Um, I don't know. Sure. It Eating just something. Interesting. Uh-huh, it's definitely food. Food, food. Uh, one target. On a hit, it does 1d8 plus 3 piercing damage plus 1d8 acid damage. Classic. Huh. Zach, what is the weirdest thing you've ever encountered that turned out to be a mimic in your gameplay? Well, I haven't ran it yet. Yeah, he's... Oh, you've got your own. I was hoping someone had gotten you with a good mimic. I haven't been got, gotten with a mimic yet. Surprisingly, the people who have ran games for me haven't mimicked me yet. Or, if anything, I'm not, I've not... I never played a character... I haven't played a rogue who's, like, picking locks. So, it's never been me who's been caught by these things. But, um, I had a uh, one-off prepared where uh, the part... the It's a one-off where everybody plays a mimic. And so, but the goal would be, it would be set in Waterdeep where the party runs a, um, the party runs a tavern and they happen to pick up a bunch of like glassware plates and shit and like chairs from a dungeon that look really nice. And seeing the party, the mimics go like, these guys are too powerful. We're not going to fight them. And they end up getting stuck on the floor of their restaurant. (laughs) So they just pretend to be mimics for a while. Uh, well, they are mimics. They pretend to be furniture for the longest time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so instead of getting killed by the party, they just kind of eat the scraps of what's dropped at night and they kind of clean up the bar overnight. So they just get free food. So they don't really have to worry about attacking anything. But when the group's out one night on an adventure, the mimics, the tavern gets broken into and the mimics have to defend their home. And so you get to play as mimics uh, to fight off a burglar or an intruder to protect your home that you've gone into and hopefully not get caught by the party in the morning. Interesting. Do you give the, like, do the people get to, like, develop, like, skills and things that make their mimics unique? Yes. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The mimics have, like, I I give them a list of things they can add for their mimics to kind of make them more differential of other ones. They would be relatively intelligent. They can talk to each other, right? And so there is, like, a, there's also a mimic horde monster. We're not going to go into that. But, yeah, that's what I've wanted to use a mimic for is, like, uh, you all get to play as a mimic to defend your own tavern. You should know it in and out by now. It's your tavern. But I actually have a bunch of minis printed for mimics to do this exact encounter. I just haven't nice. Nice. Yeah, done I don't it. think... Let's see. I think I've been gotten twice. One of them, not terribly weird, I think, is a cask of wine, which I which I think was part of the Minds of Fendever. Um, Fendever? Fendelver? However Fendelver. that was um, I think it's written into that one. So that was not too weird. But I did get chomped by a mimic that was a toilet. Oh, that's what Thomas wants his big mouth for. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the worst. That's, this that's was, a crime. This was after my shitty uh, occasional guest host Shabba who was like worried he wasn't going to be able to get us to go into an outhouse because like. D&D, you don't actually have to go to the bathroom, right? But, like, all of us girls were like, oh, we've been on the road for weeks. And he was like, yeah, you grown up to this castle and there's an outhouse. And I'm like, oh, I go to the bathroom because yeah. that's what I would, like, if I was an adventurer, I'd be super stoked to see you a mean, toilet. You like, I get to poop in a toilet? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. all the guys are like, that, why? And I was like, 
you've never had to try to squat and pee, have you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure it's not that much harder than squatting and pooping, but it's hard. And so I was like, I go to the bathroom and then I yeah. get bit by a mimic. <laughs> to make a killing in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, invent the Shiwi for everyone so yeah. that everyone can pee standing. Yeah, it's a real pain. So yeah, that's the weirdest mimic I think I've encountered. That's that's horrible. That's not where it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's not where. It that's goes. not where the mimic goes. That's, that's not, not where, where the mimic, mimic goes. Yeah. Did you stick to it? I don't. I think it just bit me. Oh, did, it, did you lose I, like a chunk of ass that it just I, ate? Oh yeah, I got it. Got the it got the butt real good. I don't remember. Aww. I don't think I got pseudopotted though. Or acid damage. Ooh. I don't fucking remember. Ouch. It wasn't enough to hurt me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the being the 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 damage sponge of the party. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, I got like double HP of everyone else. I'm a dwarf and a paladin. I have so much more HP than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Mimic asshole bites. Nothing. Nothing. I was pretty mad about it. Daily. What? What? Um. <laughs> okay. I have brought. The third uh, Halloween-y, creepy, interesting Creature. ability. Actually, it's not that interesting an ability because it's the same as the one Thomas just did. But I have <laughs> brought the Jackal Ware. Ware? Yes, exactly. And these are ordinary jackals that have been tainted by demonic power. So now they're ware jackals or jackal wares. Oh, why? So it's not a human that turns into a jackal. It's it is a jackal, jackal that, that becomes humanoid. humanoid its in... native form is a jackal and it becomes Reverse humanoid. furry! Oh, <laughs> it has a, three a physical forms. Hush. It has three physical oh, forms. Wow. It has a true form that is indistinguishable from a normal jackal. It has a human form that often appears gaunt. And affected a wretched demeanor to beg goodwill from strangers. So they, I guess, panhandle, I guess, is how you would use that. And then whenever they want to fight, they can go into a human hybrid form. So where they've got the fur and head of a jackal, but they stand on two legs. So they've got sort of the three forms that a, a were being has. A lycanthrope. Yeah, a lycanthrope. Um, I'm not going to read the full thing because it's got way too complicated, a whole bag history, but they often fight in packs. Um, they try to kidnap humans for their masters and condemn them to slavery and an agonizing death. So that's fun. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's a pretty dark backstory they have for this thing. Um, I would make them dingo-themed and they would eat babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, so, the step buck. They are medium humanoid, and they are chaotic evil. Sounds because, about right. Because they were possessed by demonic powers and shit. They have an AC of 12, hit points of 18 or 48, and a speed of 40 foot. They fast bitches. They are very fast. Oh, he coming. He coming. Um, they've got a strength of 11, plus 0, a dex of plus 2, con of plus 0, intelligence of plus 1, wisdom of plus 0, and charisma plus 0. They are not statted. <laughs> like, no. Did I miss not... the CR? What did you say the CR was? I haven't got there yet. It's oh. a CR 1 half. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're only a CR 1 half. 
That's um, why they're in packs. Yeah. Yep, gotta have those pack tactics. Um, for their skills, they've got a plus four to deception, a plus two to perception, and a plus four to stealth. So, oh, okay, the sneaky bitches. Yeah, so <laughs> that's where the extra... Uh, that's where the half comes from. <laughs> that's where the extra abilities come from. They're also immune to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, not made with silvered weapons. Oh, so they still have the silvered requirement, so they like a normal werewolf. The Silver. Yep. They got a passive perception of 12. I would expect higher, honestly, but eh. Um, they speak common, but can't speak in their jackal form, because they're jackals. Um, they are shape changers. Um, they can I use an action to polymorph into a medium human, or a jackal-humanoid hybrid, or back to its true form, which is just a small jackal. Um, its stats are the same in every form. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Um, Unlikely. <laughs> when it dies, it turns back into a jackal. Um, it has keen hearing and smell, so that it also has advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on hearing or smell. Hmm. And but it, it only has a plus two, right? Yeah, it only has a plus two to perception, but it has advantage it... in addition to that plus two. So. Okay. That balances it out, I guess. Yeah. And then they've got pack tactics. Pack tactics. Pack tactics. And the jackalware has advantage on an attack roll against a creature if at least one of the jackalware's allies is within five feet of the creature and it isn't incapacitated. So when there's friends around, they get um, advantage. It's, I guess kind of like flanking, but not quite like flanking. Yeah, it's flanking. Uh, wolves have it too. Any creature that fights as a pack. I think goblins might get it too. If not, kobolds, mm. one of the two. Yeah. I've I seen could be it wrong. Up. That's what makes them a little harder to kill, when even if their CR is pretty low. Yeah. All right. And then their actions they can take depend on their form. When they are a jackal or a hybrid, they can bite you. They don't let you bite in human form. Rude. Um, <laughs> that reach five. That's because the human mouth doesn't reach five feet. <laughs> um, they have a melee weapon attack plus 4 to hit, 5 reach 1 target, 1d4 plus 2 piercing damage when they're human or hybrid they can do the scimitar attack which is where they hit you with a scimitar um, <laughs> really? Four... a scimitar just attack? So happened to ha- that this jackal just so happened to have on him I mean, you'd have to, like, they'd have to have them, like, hidden somewhere, because they can't, like, carry them in their jackal form. Um, that is plus four to hit one target, 1d6 plus two slashing. But their fun, their fun thing that they can do is the sleeping gaze, the sleep gaze. The jackalware gazes at one creature it can see within 30 feet. The target must make a DC 10 wisdom saving throw. On a failed save, the target succumbs to a magical slumber and falls unconscious for ten minutes or until someone uses an action to shake the target awake. Creature that successfully saves against the effect is immune to the jackalwares to this jackalwares gaze for the next twenty four hours. So if you're hunting a pack, each one can give it a try. <laughs> wow. Sounds like you need one of these for a pet. Um undead creature undead and creatures immune to being charmed aren't affected by it. So, so you can elves. Just- so elves, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can just put some people to sleep. Um, Start a clinic. Would work really well job. against my dwarf paladin that has like 
a zero or a negative one to wisdom. Because <laughs> doing he their that. best. I mean, charisma is my spellcasting modifier, so I didn't put nothing in wisdom. That would make sense, yeah. Um, it's a dumb stare. Um, yeah, so that is the jackalware. Only a CR one half, because they don't have a ton of hit points or a very high AC, but you could definitely get some, like, if you got a big group of these guys, it could start to cause a problem. They can't, like, steal your soul or anything, but... Yeah. If you don't got any elves, you could eventually put the whole party to sleep for ten minutes and then just eat them. Slowly. Even (laughs) if they take damage, it keeps them asleep? I don't know. It doesn't say that they wake up. It says until somebody shakes them. Until an, an, until someone uses an action to shake the target awake. Oh, okay. So that's an escape tactic. Because if they start eating them, it'll wake them up. Oh, okay. Usually if you attack something you put to sleep, it should wake them it up. It will wake it up. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's assumed by the asleep condition. Is there an asleep condition? <laughs> yeah. If you started biting on me, I don't think I'd be asleep anymore. Well, that's not always how D&D works, okay? D&D doesn't true. I mean, follow the logic of the actual world. Of the flesh. Not rules as written. I always think it's more fun to be like, realistically, this is how it would work. But, you know, that's not... It's a world of magic, so... I mean, yeah. there are there are types of sleep that I have been in where someone would bite me and I would not wake up. <laughs> I think that's anesthesia would be the only one I would have for that one. That's That's the one. Oh, that's the I'm, one. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, undergrad, my roommate finally shipped me awake in the middle of the night, and the fire alarm was going off, and he had gotten out of bed, turned the lights on, gotten dressed, and then was like, shook me awake, and was like, hey, I think we're supposed to leave. And I was like, why didn't you wake me up? He's like, the fire alarm was going off, I figured it would wake you up. Wow. It did not. <laughs> so you're saying a dingo could eat you and your baby if it wanted to, if you were asleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely, like, tried to, like, shake him to get him to stop snoring in the middle of the night, and it would not wake him up. <laughs> That's where you just hold the, his nose. Dead to the world. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he would just suffocate in his sleep <laughs> if I did that. <laughs> I need to do a sleep study. I know that's a very 30-year-old-plus thing to say, but... I already did one. Already got diagnosed. Just gotta get that whole thing done. I have a CPAP, but I hate it so yep. much. It's well, It sucks with facial hair. You, you shouldn't should, have to worry about that one, but it sucks You should you look into the, the new oral devices. That's what I'm doing. We're off topic. This should not be part of the episode. We're this providing post- medical help. I don't this know... Is- this is post-episode discussion. Do you, you guys s- want to know what we talk about after the episode? Do you I mean, sleep? Everybody do sleeps. Do you sleep? No. Do you snore? <laughs> then get Pop. evaluated in a sleep study. I don't know. Do I'm always now. asleep when I'm snoring. How am I supposed to know? Rick, I have an app for that that tracks my snoring, and it's oh, judgy. It's uh, all right. <laughs> all right. We're, gonna, we're skipping a magic item because we've gone yes. through three monsters. Uh, yes. But let's hit uh, what was asked last session. And by last session, I mean our last episode, which mm-hmm. was the social interactions chart. So, um, this is a, this is found in Dungeon Master's Guide, Chapter 8, for social interactions. Uh, you have a kind of starting it's condition. A, it's just a what? general guide for people that play D&D on how to approach social situations. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, don't be that guy. Yeah. Uh, so, don't be that guy. <laughs> Yeah, so it starts with like a ranking of how a, a NPC feels about the person, 
and over the course of the conversation, how it changes. And so you usually would keep this score throughout the session or throughout the campaign as their perception of this character or party changes. But essentially, you start them out as friendly, which is they want to help the adventures and wish for them to succeed. Uh, indifferent, uh, they might help or hinder the party, depending on their mood. Uh, and it's see, it depends on if the creature finds helping them beneficial. Uh, hostile opposes the creatures and their, or sorry, the adventurers and their goals, but doesn't initially attack them on sight. So you have kind of a very different ability or very different score that's going on here. And so when adventurers make a request, demand, or suggestion, or when the DM decides the creature is making a decision, call for a charisma check by the character who is actively participating in the conversation. And this can be persuasion, deception, intimidation, whichever one they're using. Uh, and then the, See, DC is set by the encounter and the person's ability. So there are three ranks, hostile and different and friendly. And so hostile is a red score. And of the options, of the reactions they have, they have one opposes the adventurer's action and, ta- uh, and might take risks to do so. Offers no help, but does no harm. Does as asked as long as no risk or sacrifices are involved. Accepts a minor risk or sacrifice to do as uh, as asked, or accepts a significant risk or sacrifice to do as asked. The maximum DC on this is twenty. The lowest is uh, zero, right? Like because that's the worst that's going to happen. So a friendly creature, you need a zero to get somebody to do something for you, as long as there's no significant risk to them. Uh, you need a twenty if you want them to do a significant risk or sacrifice. Uh, for indifferent ones, you can't get a significant risk. You can only get a minor risk. That's the maximum. And they're gonna, you need a 20 on that one. Uh, for no help, if it does no harm, that is a zero. Uh, anything below these are not applicable, meaning that you can't go any lower than this. There's only three scores, zero, 10, and 20. So depending on your status of the player is how much help you're, or the NPC, the help you're gonna get. So it can be, They'll do something, but you got to roll a 20 to get them to help you. And that's if they are hostile towards you. If they are indifferent, they'll help you a little more. They're willing to do a little more. Uh, and then if they are friendly, they'll go above and beyond. But you still have to roll this charisma check. And the goal is, is that you are trying to get a functioning human being that has feelings and emotions to play out interactions with you. The other thing is, is that if these... If creatures or if players do something to upset these NPCs, their rank changes from friendly to indifferent or hostile. So you can have these players based off their interactions, based off their town lore, based on whatever they do in these settings, knock their rank around. If they become, if say a shopkeeper's indifferent one session, but the party saves the village of something or whatever, that shopkeeper's now friendly. And now it's easier to do a, um, uh, bargaining bargain with uh sales right so it's an opportunity to kind of play the status of the party against the npcs so that you have kind of a more in-depth interaction table of oh they do that they love you or they're an npc you bargain with them they're willing to do so much right but you have to just be careful with all of it because or, or go the other way where if, if your uh, party tends to be murder hobos, well, they heard about what you did. And yeah, don't. it's D&D, right? Like, there's always news through the grapevine of the things you've done, right? So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you have to consider, um, like, what's going on and how the party will be perceived. So think of it as, like, if they do something really horrible in a village, 
if everyone was relatively friendly or indifferent to them, now they're all hostile and indifferent, and they're not going to be willing to work with the party. Hostile creatures, like, it doesn't hurt them, say, to close up shop. If they're vendors, then they're just going to be like, I don't have to help you guys. You guys suck. And they can lock up their shop. And then if they end up assaulting or hurting this vendor, then now they have the whole town is hostile against them. And a lot of commoners can do a lot of damage if you think about it. Mm. So, yeah. It's like, oh, sorry. No no room in the inn. Oops. Sorry. Yep. Can't fix your stuff. Oops. Yep. Sorry. Won't sell you food. Yep. Sorry poisoned your food or like gave them something bad right so mm-hmm. yeah so opposes an adventurer's actions and might take a risk to do so so in yeah. that case a risk would be actively harming the party right yeah so yeah there's a lot of social interactions this cheat sheet you could probably find in the dungeon master's guide in chapter eight it's just like a score of everything it's very handy to keep when your party interacts with a lot of npcs particularly in a well-developed setting cool sweet yeah do you guys have a recommendation for a book, content, consume? Consume. Consume. Well, oh, uh, I did. I did finish last night, finished the last book in the Cradle series by Will White. It nice. was. It was. Uh, you can't talk too much about it because I haven't finished it. You started reading it months before I did. I'm sleepy at night. Okay. But very good. Uh, we'll say it. It's hard to wrap up a series that's that long, right? And especially yeah. when... And it, that large. And that large. And, like, it it, ha- it tended to, we'll say, DBZ it, it, Dragon Ball Z's, to where, like, your power levels are, like... Exponentially. Exponential growing. And so, like, trying to end a world like that satisfying... Is tough, and I I think it did. It, I think Will White did a pretty good job, but but that's that's the Cradle series. We actually yesterday happened into a Five Below, the little the stores Five Below, and picked up the Game Master's Book of Random Encounters, the uh, Adventure Location Edition, which is just a book that. I mean... is written by... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Written by Jeff Ashworth. Which I believe there's a whole series of these things that he's put at. There are, um, yeah. That are the Game Master's book of. Um, but uh, for five bucks, for this thing that has, you know, 500 plus random encounters and, and has uh, uh, randomizer tables for going, okay, you're going to be in a shop doing, th- like... There's all sorts of, of randomization in this, but it's got a ton of maps. It's got um, a random NPC generator in it. Right. It's got a bunch of maps for different locations. Yeah, so just like looking at, like, and I, like I said, we just picked this up yesterday, but it looks super interesting for five bucks. Yeah. Um, which, Did y'all, I, were there more than one type of book there at Five Below? I'm not doing deep books. I, this is the only one I saw. They had some manga, actually, which uh, surprised me. They had, like... Book one of like uh uh, good grief! I'm gonna go completely blank now. What's it oh. about? Um. <laughs> oh, they had Attack on Titan. That's what I was about to say. It's probably Attack on Titan. They had Attack on Titan. Um, so they, Evangelion. They did not have Evangelion. No, no, no we had, we were looking at pins or no keychains or something. No, no, no. Evangelion was uh when we were in um. 
next door at uh, oh, the micro, center. micro Center, and they had an Evangelion PC build that was like, I don't know, several grand. It was a very, very, very nice build. Damn. Uh, but back, the random counters, um, it has stuff for taverns, inns, shops, and guild halls. It has a chapter for temples, tombs, and crypts. A chapter for the great outdoors. A chapter for homes, hideouts, labs, and lairs. And then it has its random tables and more. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, in each of these sections, you can roll a d20 to randomly put your group into one of these. And then you go to that page with that location. And there are more things you can roll to randomly generate the scenario. Yeah, so, that's awesome. can be used as a jump-off point. It could be used to improvise a short, a small session if you needed to. Um, I I figure when you were talking about the uh, oh I only have like one or two players in and they're they're in town and they're carousing um, yeah would be a good thing or oh no the the party decided to just split up <laughs> I didn't expect that well while the while the most of these guys go and do the main quest I guess this other guy gets a run into something a little random a little creepier yeah. I think we actually talked about this book in episode 66, but you guys gave more detail than I did for sure. Oh, okay. Oh. But I, have I have another then. one of that. Yeah, it's all right. I think there, mm-hmm. I have a, there's that one and there's like a blue one, but I don't remember what um, what it's about. I couldn't tell you. Backstories, maybe? I don't know. But uh, I'm also almost finished with the book series. Um, yeah. Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Uh, yeah, so the the chapter 37 is called The Last Battle. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this last episode. <laughs> yeah. I still you, I was wrong. It's long? 9 hours long, <laughs> not 5. I am still listening to it and it's I'm about I think I still have 3 3 or 4 hours left in the chapter and then the last like 10 chapters take an hour. And so you're just oh. like, oh my god. So I'm excited to finish that. I, I haven't decided if I want to read um, the New Spring book. It's not very big, so I might get it anyways. But I'm thinking I might go to a Brandon Sanderson book because he kind of wrote this part of this one. So oh, I'm nice. just wanna... I need to read more Brandon Sanderson. It's very good. I books. have uh, his Way of the Kings that I've been wanting to start. So that's my plan. But yeah, uh, Adrian, where can you find us on social media? On Instagram at Sweet Tea and D D. All Sweet. spelled out. All spelled out. D N D with the N in the middle because yes, I I don't remember what the name for the and symbol is. Is it just the ampersand? Ampersand. Yeah, you can't use an ampersand in the name. It is ampersand. I was thinking yes, octothorpe, but that's the number. Nope, sign. that's a that's, that's the, the pound sign. Yeah, pound hashtag. I love that you hashtag that for a second. You're just like pound. Uh, yeah. Well, all right, everybody, say bye. 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 Happy Halloween. It is ampersand. I was thinking yes, Octothorpe, but that's the number nope, sign. Nope, that's, a, that's, that's the, the pound sign. Yeah, pound. Hashtag. I love that you hashtag that for a second. You're just like pound. Uh, yeah. Well, all right, everybody, say bye. 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 Happy Halloween. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll wrap this episode up without any outro music because I... Don't have the files. My computer got wiped. I don't want to talk about it. But with that, here's a joke. Uh, What did Frankenstein and his wife do on the night of their honeymoon? The monster mash. They did the mash. They fucked.